But as American Jews, I think the, the feeling is one of aloneness and being hated and, and being unmoored and all these things that we had maybe fooled ourselves into thinking that uh, this wasn't so bad, we're not really experiencing anti-Semitism, it's never gonna be this horrible, it happened. And then, as you've been saying, we kind of saw who our friends were and who our friends weren't. And there were too many in the weren't category, some who we thought were friends and uh, just shocking. So it's that, that feeling of like just being. So Douglas Emhoff is a millionaire entertainment lawyer married to the vice president. And he's sitting there surrounded by basically Israel lobbyists backed by billionaires in a hyper securitized ski resort surrounded by the world's cast of reptilian shape-shifting hovercraft elites. <laughs> and he's complaining about being an oppressed Jew as though he's hiding in a secret annex in a house in Rotterdam or Amsterdam or something from uh, the Gestapo outside. It's really absurd and speaks to the completely delusional messaging strategy of this administration where they're just going over the heads of their base that wants them to impose a ceasefire and speaking directly to the donors. That's all that is.
I consider myself a fairly cynical person when it comes to what kind of atrocities that superpowers and military uh, forces can do. But I had never in my wildest fantasy that I would sit here today together with you and uh, discuss the atrocities of a magnitude that I cannot recall to have seen in modern history. I'm dressed in black today to commemorate the 24,000 killed Palestinians and the 61,000 wounded, an almost unimaginable number of 85,000 Palestinian men, women and children killed or wounded within the time span of 100 days and a healthcare that is not only shattered, but where they have ruined the majority, 30 out of 36 hospital and 54 healthcare stations and killed, as you said, more than 300 healthcare workers. It is unprecedented. And when I see the videos coming from Gaza today, what people are using, forced to use donkey carts to carry wounded and killed Palestinians because more than 100 ambulances have been targeted and shot to pieces by the Israeli occupation forces. I think what we're looking at is a massive moral failure and a moral breakdown of international order and of control with the arms and the way that arms are used in colonial projects.
premeditated mass murder at the industrial level of the Palestinian people. And it, as I said, it's a massive moral breakdown. I, I don't understand how more than 150 nations in the UN General Assembly can vote for ceasefire, and yet two nations, the United States and Israel, continue to just oppose any medical advice, any reality, any statistics of the horrors of the situation in Gaza without being stopped. We need to support the uh, proceedings in the International Criminal Court mm. and hold Israel accountable for these massive crimes against the healthcare system and patients and, and the population in Gaza at large. Because this impunity has led to the situation we are in now. Israel has never been held accountable for their previous massive attacks on healthcare. This is nothing new to us. We've been working in Gaza and in the West Bank for decades. They are always attacking healthcare. Ambulances, hospitals are killing healthcare workers. But it has never been any uh, uh, investigation and accountability on the Israeli part. If they get away with this, these 100 days, without any kind of punishment and legal actions, we are entering a very dark period in our history where the new colonialists are willing to and able to and can unpunish it uh, be attacking new territories, new countries, and, uh, and, and perform the same mass killings that we've seen these last hundred days. Let me just read to you some of the numbers that one of the judges in the ICJ uh, reported, the Irish judge. She, she said, on an average, 247 Palestinians are killed, have been killed every day. Among them, 48 mothers killed every day, two every hour. 117 children killed every day. UNICEF called this a war on the children. Okay. Three medics killed every day, two teachers killed every day, and 10 children every day on an average, have lost one or two legs. Just to take care of the amputated children yeah. in Gaza will demand a massive international effort.
it was reported recently, and it's in the open press, that uh, the Iranians have begun enriching uranium to weapons-grade plutonium. For your audience, this means that it's enriched to 20% or more, and the plutonium then is capable of being utilized in, in making bombs for warheads on missiles or dropping from airplanes or whatever. This is not an accident. The Iranians have restrained themselves in the past. They've kept well below those levels. They're now actively making that plutonium. I have very, very little doubt in my mind that they can transform that plutonium into nuclear weapons. At the mm -hmm. same time, the Turks know and have known this for a long time that if they were ever in the position where they felt they were going to be directly threatened by another nation with a nuclear weapon and in the Middle East, everybody assumes that's Israel, that Pakistan would provide nuclear warheads that could be utilized by the Turks. These developments are huge and get no attention. People need to understand what this means. It means that if this war spreads, as I think it will, I think, I think we're on the slippery slide into a major regional war. The Houthis, Hezbollah, the militias are symptomatic of where I think we're headed. I think that Washington wants desperately war with Iran. And I think there are enough people who are careless and don't really understand the region, don't understand the facts, are beating the drums for it. And all of these things point to a disaster that we really don't want to confront. But no one in the White House is addressing this. No one is standing up in front of the American people and saying, look, this is very serious. This is beyond the usual Arab-Israeli conflict. This is not something that is lasts for a few weeks and then ends and results in some sort of treaty or a new agreement or a change in the border. This has become a, a war for the existence of Israel on the one hand and a war for the existence of the Arabs and Muslims in the region on the other. This is not exclusively Mr. Netanyahu's problem. Mr. Netanyahu said this is existential. Either we win or we're finished. Well, uh, that, that dangerous attitude has been adopted by the people that surround him. And I don't think we can bribe them to stop. I don't think we can bully them into stopping. Uh, so there, there has to be some more thorough analysis and thinking about the implications of our actions and the actions of our Israeli friends. And I'm just not seeing it. What I see is more emotion and very little rational calculus. The left and, and Joe Biden know that Joe Biden is not going to run a game. And if he does, he's not going to win. So. I think they are similar in some respects to Mr. Netanyahu. They want to leverage their control and dominance politically, militarily, economically over us and uh, the rest of the world to reshape the region to their uh, satisfaction. They failed miserably in Ukraine. They're going to make noises. We're sending small numbers of troops to northern Finland and northern Sweden. We're stoking the fires of fear in Scandinavia and Germany by telling everyone war with Russia is coming, which is only only if we attack Russia. And no one there wants to do that. It's all nonsense. But I see the same sort of mentality driving us down this sort of uh, one-way street to disaster into a fight that we can avoid and don't need to fight.
now the mask falls further. On the very same day that the West pet bulldog Israel was hauled into The Hague to face the charge of genocide in which EU countries are complicit, our so-called like-minded partners, the US and Britain, flout the UN Charter to commit their latest crime of aggression. Illegal, unprovoked, unjustified airstrikes on Yemen. Lawless, barbarous acts to inflame the region and to make worse the catastrophic cost of living crisis being experienced by millions of Europeans. And now some of you actually want to join them. Seriously, with a straight face. People have come in here and said they want to do that in order to uphold international law. The very same international law that a horrified world has watched being trampled into the ruins of Gaza while the EU hands Israel more weapons and cheers on the genocide. The Yemenis have killed no one. 25,000 Palestinians are dead and all you're enraged about is international shipping. It's over. The EU has no moral authority. If you want to sort the situation out, end the genocide. silenced by Elijah Muhammad was in fact true. America's chickens are coming home to roost. We took this country by terror away from the Sioux, the Apache, the Arawak, the Comanche, the Arapaho, the Navajo. Terrorism. We took Africans from their country to build our way of ease and kept enslaved and living in fear. Terrorism. We bombed Grenada and killed innocent civilians, babies, non-military personnel. We bombed the black civilian community of Panama with stealth bombers and killed unarmed teenagers and toddlers, pregnant mothers and hard-working fathers. We bombed Gaddafi's home and killed his child. Blessed are they who bash your children's head against the rock. We bombed Iraq. We killed unarmed trying to make a living. We bombed a plant in Sudan to pay back for the attack on our embassy. Killed hundreds of hard-working people, mothers and fathers who left home to go that day not knowing that they'd never get back home. We bombed Hiroshima. We bombed Nagasaki. And we nuked far more than the thousands in New York and the Pentagon. And we never batted an
suffering we're seeing among innocent men, women, and children breaks my heart. The question is, what is to be done? We've made judgments about how we thought we could be most effective in trying to shape this in ways to get more humanitarian assistance to people, to get better protections and, and, and minimize civilian casualties. Um, and at every step along the way, not only have we impressed upon Israel its responsibilities to do that, um, we've seen some progress in areas where absent our engagement, I don't believe it would have happened. <laughs> oh God, where does one start? Yeah. Is it humanitarian assistance and then you provide the bombs <laughs> that give rise to the need for the emergency assistance? Come on, right. Mr. Secretary, it's your bombs. You signed the order to bypass the Congress, to give the weapons to Israel. Stop the weapons, then the fighting stops. This is what presidents do. By the way, this is what uh, Kissinger did after the uh, war in 1973, which was a prelude to the peace agreement uh, reached uh, in 1978 between Israel and Egypt. The United States intervened and said, stop the fighting. This is uh, what President Eisenhower did in 1956 after the crazy harebrained scheme of Britain, France, and Israel to invade Egypt in 1956. Eisenhower told them, hey, stop now. And they stopped because they could not resist the United States. That's what leadership is. We don't need the, sec uh, the uh, Secretary of State wringing his hands. We need the fighting to stop.
Good evening, folks. Cheap Tuesdays, 101.5 UMFM. It's January 23rd, 2024. New show. Uh, started off the show with uh, Max Blumenthal from the Gray Zone uh, commenting brilliantly on the Davos elites who are trying to tell us, no, 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 the real problem is anti-Semitism. Don't think about the genocide. Just keep in mind when you see figures and data about the rise of anti-Semitic incidents that data can be manipulated for propaganda just like anything else can. What meets the threshold to be considered anti-Semitic? Is it a pro-Palestinian rally? Is it someone shouting the slogan from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free? Because neither of those things are anti-Semitic. They are against the Zionists in the Israeli government, which is not the same thing as being anti-Semitic, no matter what anybody tells you. The first song you heard was Crass, and the name of the song is Don't Tell Me You Care. And, you know, Cross's lyrics are always so great. Here's the opening. You shithead slimy goddardalls, you crap-eyed ghosts with greasy balls, you wicked matrons stabbing hard, grabbing while the going's good, administrator's vicious smile, dancing on the body pile, slipping your sly fingernails, impaling flesh on battlefields, the decaying corpses help you up to your position at the top. Exactly. Clip number two was uh, Dr. Mads, uh, who spent a lot of time in Palestine and Gaza, commenting about the first hundred days of the war. And he says the phrase, it's the complete moral failure of the world. And I honestly couldn't agree more. The West has completely lost credibility because of this, along with the recent Ukrainian crisis and all the BS there. The rest of the world sees right through this garbage. Don't kid yourself. Song number two, New Model Army, Western Dream. Uh, I liked a, line, a, a, a stanza from here, the ending of the song. It seems to me sometimes there's only two ways to choose in this whirlpool made of a thousand years. Either live in these ghettos and know your place, or you trample over everyone in the human race. I wish we could find another way to go without the ghost of Cain in everything we do, the bitterness in failure and the dirt in success. This is our choice. Great. Great song, too. I got to check out more of their stuff. Clip number three, Mads, again, uh, discussing the moral failure of the West again and how Israel has had impunity for so long, which is why they're acting the way they are, um, and making the statement that I fully agree with. They cannot be allowed to get away with what they've been doing this last hundred days. Uh, including lots of war crimes, obviously, DRI, war crime. Back home, they wanted blood for the atrocities, for the innocent who died on their TVs. They demanded justice. They demanded you. They wanted you to watch you hang till you turn blue. And the president said eh, that that's okay because it takes their attention away from the real crime, the war. There are no war crimes. War is the crime. Yeah, there are war is the crime, but there are also war crimes. Um, Dr. Mad's reading the figures out and uh, about the deaths and amputations and all of that. And, and you know, what to say about this? It's disgusting. It's the most disgusting, amoral thing that I've ever seen in my life. Um, Slayer, war ensemble after that. Sport the war, war support. The sport is the war, total war. When victory is a massacre, the final swing is not a drill. It's how many people I can kill. Yeah, exactly. Um, clip number five, Colonel Douglas McGregor discussing potential for the wider war in the region, which is a reality for anyone who understands the region and all the players. Um, bad religion followed that up with uh, chaos from within. Uh, terror always seems to win in the drama of human motivation. Where is restraint and reason? Exactly. Where is the person in our government and in Western government saying ceasefire and demanding it? Where are our leaders? Where are they? Claire Daly, uh, one of my heroes, I've brought her on the show many times, uh, played her on the show. She's in the EU, the European Parliament, and a fantastic speech, you know, about the moral authority of the West, which is a joke. Um, and she mentioned the Yemenis in there, the poorest nation in the world, suffered so much in their own war, and now they're one of the only ones, along with South Africa and Indonesia, who are willing to actually do something about this. Heroes, all of them. Uh, Napalm, death, moral, crusade, you probably couldn't understand any lyrics. Uh, a superiority complex, pious, holy to the hilt. Outwards displays of cleanliness, masking inner feelings of hate and guilt. Your morality is hypocrisy, obsessive self-esteem, enforcing your ideals, your puritanical dream. Gather your flock, gullible fools, dictate restrictions. And uh, followed it up with another track, Killing Joke. 
seeing red. And I love the way this one opens. They're dropping bombs again and they're doing it in your name. All the rational commentaries in the papers that I read, marmalade and buttered toast and the smell of Sunday roast, kiss the ass of Uncle Sam, oh, to be an Englishman or a Canadian or any country in the West, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, any Western country, just constantly kissing America's ass. Even when there's a genocide happening, they don't want to do anything to stop it. Jeffrey Sachs after that uh, on Anthony Blinken. I mean, the man, he's the, he's the secretary of state. He's got no soul as far as I can tell. He's got dead eyes when he says he's feeling anything about what's happening in Palestine. It's a lie. He doesn't care. If he did care, as Sachs said, he would stop selling weapons. He'd make ultimatums. The Americans especially could stop it instantly if they wanted to. They don't want to. Dalek after that. Um, Blessed are they who bash your children's head against a rock. And uh, the sample in there is from Reverend Jeremiah Wright, speaking merely five days after the 9-11 attacks. Amazing. Uh, Song number seven finished it off with The Who, I've Known No War. Nice song. Uh, the ending is, is I think, great. War, I've known no war. I'll never know war. And if I ever know it, the glimpse will be short. Fireball in the sky. No frontline battle cries can be heard as the button is pushed by a soul that's been bought. And the armies remaining will judge without people or courts. And there's no point pretending that knowing will help us abort. I'll know no war. And so I'll finish that off by saying that um, as I'm recording this now, Tuesday night here in uh, China is Tuesday morning in the West. And uh, this is the day that the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists are announcing their doomsday clock uh, for the year. So I'll get to that next week and uh, do a special show on it next week and talk about it. And uh, boy, yeah, I mean, we're in trouble. So to get your mind off of all that trouble uh, and try to do something that maybe you could enjoy, um, how about checking out Black Mirror? I <laughs> I just realized what I said, and, and, and now I realize how ridiculous it is. You want to enjoy yourself a little? Go watch some Black Mirror. That'll make you feel better. <laughs> exactly the opposite. It's going to make you feel worse. But, but I don't know if you watched uh, season six, which came out last year in June or July. Uh, you know, I... It's hard to talk about Black Mirror because I hate spoilers and it's all about the twists and stuff in Black Mirror. So uh, I promise I'm not going to spoil. I'm just going to say one thing, which is that not all the episodes have that same kind of technology focus. There's a different focus to some of them and I think it works. I don't think it's as good as still the best Black Mirror episodes, um, but there were a couple of really good ones. And one of them that I that I quite liked is the one we're going to hear a score from today. It's called Lock Henry. And uh, there's only a very short score available. It's like 11 minutes long. So uh, it's not going to like thrill you to pieces. Um, but it's by somebody named Adam Janota Zowski. And it looks like he hasn't been around for very long. I don't see a lot of things. I'm looking at his website uh, and I see the Black Mirror episode. And honestly, none of the other stuff I recognize. It looks like he's got seven things in total. And then some of his own uh, releases, maybe it looks like. But he's a London-based composer. Uh, As a child, he was known for his fondness of the intermittent static between radio stations, an interest that would later see him study sound at University of Brighton. Whilst living in a disused biscuit factory on the English coast, Adam became involved in the ambient music scene using an old four-track tape recorder and guitar pedals to make compositions, which still remains his preferred method today. He's a BAFTA-nominated for something called Saint Maud, um, and it won him Best Original Music at the 2020 Gerdmere Fantastic Arts Film Festival, which is probably somewhere in the UK, I guess. Um, So yeah, maybe an up-and-coming star, and uh, I quite like this, so give it a listen. This is Cheap Tuesdays, 101.5 UMFM. I'm your host, Dan. See you here next week for another new show where we'll talk about the doomsday clock. Take care of yourselves, folks. 